Like Dylan said, my name is Noel. Friends, it's a privilege and an honor to bring you God's word today. As you know, we are journeying through the book of Hosea, unpacking its themes. Last week, Dylan wonderfully preached on spiritual compromise and syncretism, which leads to spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery is any form of idolatry that takes our devotion away from God. The book of Hosea shows us how the children of Israel tried to mix the worship of other gods such as Baal with the worship of God. In doing so, they became an adulterous wife who wanted both the husband God and her lovers, the idols of this world. The Bible tells us that people who choose to be friends with the things of this world are an adulterous people having enmity against God. Spiritual adultery is unfaithfulness to God. It is having an undue fondness for the idols and the things of this world. Have you ever been to a carnival? It is loud, vibrant with many offerings. A traditional carnival is led by this unseen host because he's somewhere in the crowd. And this host role is to present the shows and the performers. He speaks to the crowd and keeps the show moving. Ladies and gentlemen, uncles and aunties, there is something for everyone. From the fast rides to the delicious treats that will take you into a trance you don't want to get out of. The aim of the carnival is to keep people enticed, try everything and then come back with more friends. It has this feeling of indulgence, you can never get enough. Now, while I don't mind a fun carnival or show, there is a carnival, the hidden host, the enemy, our adversary, the devil, has put up for us. Sometimes we find the very city we're living in to be like that carnival. Every day, a new ambition, a new promotion, so much more to consume. Does it remind you of a place or a city? The hidden host of this world is constantly speaking to us through the shows of this world to keep us going and feed the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We were created to be in an intimate relationship with God. But when the carnival of this world and its offerings become our center, and God and our relationship with Him comes on the sidelines, we become an adulterous people because we end up worshipping the things of this world instead of God, who gave us the very breath of life and everything we have. The person committing spiritual adultery is the one who professes to love Christ, but in reality finds his true love in the thing Satan offers. Friends, the love of the world and the love of God are direct opposites. Committing spiritual adultery is claiming to love God, but in reality, it's a fine wrapping under which we are captivated by the pleasures of this world. Friends, today we are not going to walk the so-called gray area of the world and God, but in fact, we are going to draw a clear line to distinguish between what it is to walk in the ways of the world that calls us to bow to the idols of this world and commit adultery versus what it is to walk in the ways of the gospel that leads us to Christ and abundant life. The title of my preach today is Spiritual Adultery and the Gospel. Let's open our Bibles and read from Hosea chapter 2 verse 8. God says, and it was I who gave her 
the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. In Hosea, God paints Israel as an adulterous wife who's no longer worthy to be compared to a wife because she has offered herself to other gods. She justified her whoredom because she received things from her lovers, the gods of this world, the idols and the nations. In doing so, she becomes an adulterous wife and forgets that everything that she has comes from God, Yahweh, the one true God. Everything we do, though we may think only carries a physical significance, it does showcase our spiritual leaning and alliance towards things. The grain, the wine, the oil represents God's provision for Israel, which they use for Baal. When we take the very blessings God bestows upon us and use it to worship the gods of this world, we become an adulterous people turning the blessings into curses and a true desire to worship God into spiritual adultery because we chase our lovers from this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Even when Israel went after her lovers, God blessed her. This showed his unselfish great love. But then we see that God sets a hedge of thorns around across her paths so that whenever she would come off the correct path, it would hurt her. God wanted to bring Israel back to repentance. Now we may think that God is against us when the thorns hurt us, but it is one of the sweetest expressions of God's love to bring us back on the right track. When we trade God's glory for temporary pleasures of this world, we fail miserably. Israel made God's way of living into a religion when he wanted a relationship. After Israel's jar of sin filled up, God took away his provision and his protection from them so that they could feel depraved and hear his voice once again. They were so filled with the pleasures of this world that they could not hear God's voice. Pleasures they purchased by God's own blessings. But then we see that God chooses to allure Israel back to him, not beat her, drag her, bring, but bring her back with love and charm and make Israel his forever wife. Friends, this is not just Israel's story, but this is our story too. We're all spiritual adulterers, once dead in our trespasses and now made alive in Christ. We are his covenant people too in Christ. We have this promise to spend eternity with the Father in heaven. But like I said, the hidden host of this world has set up a carnival of wants for us and he wants to keep us indulged in the gods of this world and away from the beauty and the magnificence of the gospel. For believers, this means to not live the fullness of what God has for us through Christ and the gospel. And for unbelievers, it begins with missing out on the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. The enemy wants to keep our heads down in the enchantment of the world, in the enticement of the flesh that leads us to the snare of death. But the gospel calls us to lift our heads up 
to keep our eyes focused on the kingdom of God, to the transformation of the Holy Spirit, and abundant life. These are two opposing roads that we will bring together to see the gospel-centric life God has called us to live today through Christ Jesus. So firstly, the enchantment of the world versus the kingdom of God. There is a charm the enemy puts out for us. Like I said, he sets up a circus, a carnival of wants for us. Israel became blind to the dangerous offerings of the world. Hosea writes in chapter 7, the people of Israel mingle with godless foreigners, making themselves as worthless as half-baked cake. Worshipping foreign gods has sapped their strength, but they don't even know it. In those days, bread was prepared like a pancake cooked on both sides. In worshipping other gods, Israel became like an unturned pancake, burnt from one side and uncooked from the other, absolutely worthless. They began to worship other gods without even realizing that they were drowning in the pool of their own sin. And to top it off, they sought help from nations like Assyria and Egypt that would only cause them hurt and destruction. The aroma of the pleasures of the world became so appealing to them that they became blind to their own destructive patterns. God says they cut themselves begging foreign gods to give them the grain, the new wine, the oil, but they turn away from me. The fact that Israel was settling for pagan practices, looking to Baal for the provision, was astonishing. Instead of cutting themselves, they could have simply fallen flat on their faces in repentance and cried out to Yahweh, who was the one who gave them the grain, the new wine, the oil. Scripture says they looked everywhere except the Most High. That is a name for God. You see, it was God who gave them the grain, the new wine, the oil. These people went from, went from offering God's blessings to Baal to now expecting Baal to give them those blessings. How do a people go from worshipping the one true God to worshipping an empty idol? How do we, how does Noel not see and come sometimes becomes blind in worshipping the things of this world? Because we tend to worship the gifts more than the giver. And the giver of everything we have is God. We may think that it's our bosses, our jobs, our companies, the pagan rituals that have been flowing down from our forefathers. I've seen people in the marketplace where before even switching on their PC, they'll wait for the light to shine on their laptop, take two rounds around their chair and then start their daily jobs because grandma said so. And before we even know it, the hands have swapped and we end up playing in the hands of the enemy. The hidden host of this world has displayed the idols of this world at our disposal to get hold of us. We think we get hold of them, but no, they get hold of us. We fall prey to the schemes of the enemy because he wants to keep our head down in the enchantment of the world, but Christ calls us to seek higher. He says, seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Not your kingdom, not my kingdom, 
but the kingdom of God. But what does it mean to focus on the kingdom of God? It means to have an eternal perspective and think beyond survival. To lean on God and do His will. To love one another. To share the good news. To be available for God's work. I love the pattern in the scripture. It goes like, seek first the kingdom of God. Live righteously and He will give you everything you need. Our language and lifestyle has to be God first and then everything. But when everything becomes our center and God comes on the sidelines, we become an adulterous people. It's been over three months now I've come on staff at Well of Life. And um, in the first week of coming on staff, I was offered three jobs from the marketplace. These three jobs fitted the criteria I had eight months ago. <laughs> they had two things in common. One, the comfort to work from home. Notice the word comfort. And the other, a better pay. Notice the word. <laughs> and then the enchantment of the world started tingling my heart. I started hearing whispers of, oh, you could do with a little bit of side income. If you want to plant a church, God wouldn't mind if you step into that zone again. You could do with some money. Oh, God wouldn't mind if you look out for your family. But then I heard God's voice say, you'd be whoring if you take one of those opportunities because I've called you out. And just to be clear, I'm not against part-time work. If you need to do it for your family, go ahead. But when the world offers you something, take a step back and ask yourself sincerely before God if it is something that will distract you, that will distract you from what God is calling you in a season to do and be. I learned this quite early on in my career after failing miserably that God is my provider, not man. That the ways of God are completely different to the ways of man. When my wife and I, we came to Dubai eight years ago, we came without jobs and everyone told us, Habibi, you need vasta. It's a term used for connections to get jobs. And we had none and God blessed us exponentially. I'm not being pompous, but God has blessed us. And we've not chased man, we've not manufactured anything for ourselves. I have watched God lead me into spaces and I've watched God draw me out of spaces. We pray about things that our hearts desire and sometimes He gives us and sometimes He doesn't. It's as simple as that. But friends, we must remember that the gods of this world call us to worthless worship of idols and material, but Christ calls us higher to seek the kingdom of God first, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that is being built with the transformation of the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives as the new wine. Which brings me to the second opposing road we'll discuss today, the enticement of the flesh and the transformation of the spirit. There is a battle of a flesh we all are fighting at some degree or level in our life. But when we give in to the frailty of the flesh, we fall prey to the schemes of the enemy. Gomer committed adultery. We do not know what led her there, but we do know that she gave in to the enticement of her flesh. 
Gomer represents Israel and they gave in to the enticement of the flesh too. You know what Hosea writes about Israel? He says, she said, I'll go after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of wool and linen. Just like Gomer and Israel, we tend to justify giving into our sinful passions and commit spiritual adultery. Oh, I need it. Did you? We tend to worship our own sinful desires. We were created to worship God, so that desire to worship isn't foreign, but the problem occurs when that pure desire to worship God gets tainted when we start worshiping the idols and the material of this world. And we see its manifestations in many ways. When a couple doesn't get along with each other, the husband or the wife finds solace in pornography and then friendship and love and companionship in another person. Before they know it, they step into sexual sin and adultery and boom, the enemy gets them first through anger and then through lust. When the pride of life kicks in, when jealousy kicks in, in the marketplace at work and we see a colleague doing really well and we go like, hey, what's your secret to success? And your colleague says, I keep my chakras aligned. <laughs> someone, had, someone did tell me that. The concept of chakra comes from Hinduism and Buddhism, which basically means to keep the points of energy aligned in your body. That's what it teaches you. And people might think, oh, it's okay to keep the points of energy aligned in your body for health and success. No, it's not. Because God has called us to be centered in Christ and His Word and be led by the Spirit. And boom, the enemy gets us through idolatry. I've often seen people not feeling well and someone comes along the way and says, why don't you do yoga? It is this new age spiritual thing, which it is, but it doesn't offend any religion. It may not offend any religion, but it does offend my relationship with God. Yoga comes from Hinduism, and the concept of yoga is to be yoked. The word yoga means to be yoked, but to be yoked with what? It's a Hindu word and tradition to be yoked with the Hindu god of Brahma. Every practice and breathing exercise of yoga is geared toward releasing the serpent energy called Kundalini, which is the opposite of the Holy Spirit. Many people think they can separate yoga from worshipping God. No, they cannot. Just like the Israelites couldn't mix the worship of Baal with the worship of God. Paul says, do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slave to the one whom you obey, either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. Obedience to God in Christ. Who is your heart enslaved to? Is it sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? Scripture says, when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When we come to Christ, He transforms us, He renews us, He brings the new wine, the new life of Christ within us, and gives us the mind of Christ. 
and we find ourselves free from the chain of sins and then we can see the true image of God we were created to be in and how the lust of the flesh and the idols of this world have corrupted our ways. When the Holy Spirit comes in us, He transforms our lives to resist the pull to sin and to make our foundation in Christ stronger. It is then we start walking away from the ways of the flesh and walk in the ways of Christ. And the Holy Spirit helps us in those moments. They are one of the toughest moments but worth fighting for. Walking in the ways of Christ, friends, means to walk in the leading of the Spirit. Because the flesh and the Spirit, the scripture is clear, are at war against each other. And friends, we must remember that while the flesh is waging war within us, victory isn't in the absence of temptation, but in the transformation of the Spirit as we put to death the flesh and choose Christ every day and the renewal and the transformation that comes through the leaning on the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one who takes us out from the snare of death and brings us to abundant life. The third opposing road we'll discuss for today. God says in Hosea, Shall I ransom them from death? Shall I redeem them from grave? O death, bring on your plagues. O grave, bring on your terrors. For I will not take pity on them. God was angry. He has this rhetorical conversation with himself where he asks to spare Ephraim. That's a name for Israel. But then he responds to his own questions by calling the plagues of death and the sting of Sheol. And then we see that God chooses to spare Israel. Why? Because he's a faithful, covenant-keeping, loving God. We're unfaithful. He isn't. He calls Israel to repentance and promises to not give up on her. He says, how can I give up on you, Ephraim? The scripture we just read, Hosea 13 verse 14, is a shadow of Jesus' death, burial and resurrection that he would defeat death and grave on the cross. Hosea gives us a prophetic image, even in chapter 6, of what Christ would accomplish on the cross for us. He says, let us turn to the Lord. He has torn us that he will heal us. He has struck us down that he may build us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us. Praise God. On the cross, Jesus was stricken and torn for us, yet gloriously raised on the third day. As foretold by Hosea, he was pierced for our sins and crushed for our rebellion. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was bruised so we could be healed. Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15.55 an inspiration from Hosea 13.14. He uses the technique of juxtaposition, which basically means of putting two truths together in contrary. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In using those words, Paul is exclaiming that Jesus has defeated death and grave on the cross. In Hosea chapter 13 verse 14, we see the wrath of God. 
In 1 Corinthians 15:55, we see the redemption of God and in the center stands Christ on the cross for us. The unseen host of this world wants to lead us to the snare of death, but Christ has made a way for us to abundant life. He, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, has made a way for us by laying his life down for us. And he doesn't give up on his people. In the Gospel of John chapter 4, we see Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. He offers her the water of life and her world gets transformed. Not only her world, she goes and she shares her experience with other Samaritans and their world gets transformed too because they come to know Christ. The Samaritan comes from the lineage of the Northern Kingdom people. In Hosea, the prophet prophesies that the, that the Northern Kingdom people would be occupied by the Assyrians and that does happen in 720 BC. And then later, they intermarry with the Assyrians and become a mixed people later known as the Samaritans. When Jesus meets the Samaritan woman, he's meeting Ephraim. He's meeting the northern kingdom people. How can I give up on you, Ephraim? He doesn't give up on his people. And sometimes, like the Samaritan woman, we can have the head knowledge about God but not have the yada knowledge of God, not have the experiential relationship and understanding of who God is. And friends, I believe through the gospel, God is calling us to Christ to live that gospel-centric life, to meet Christ and then go like that Samaritan woman out into the nations, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, proclaiming that death's terror was silenced by Christ's victory on the cross, that he leads us from the bondage of sin to the bounty of eternal life. As we land now, I want to share something with you. But as we do that, I would just ask you to close your eyes maybe and if you could have the house lights down a bit. So friends, the question really is, what will it be? The unseen host, the enemy, the adversary, the devil has put a carnival of idols and want and materialism around us so that we could fall prey to spiritual adultery. He wants to keep our heads down into the enchantment of the world. But through the gospel in Christ, are we going to choose to lift our heads up to seek the kingdom of God first? He wants to keep our heads down in the enticement of the flesh and be self-consumed. But through the gospel in Christ, are we going to choose to be led by the transformation of the Spirit, by the new wine that Christ brings to us through the Holy Spirit? That hidden host wants to lead us to the snare of death. But in Christ, through the gospel, are we going to choose to walk in the abundant life Christ had afforded us? If you read commentaries around the Gospel of John chapter 4, you will see that Jesus, they will say, the commentaries will say that Jesus wasn't supposed to pass through Samaria, but he chose to. He interrupted that Samaritan woman's life that day. She was on her daily work, drawing water out of the well. 
he interrupted her life to offer her the water of life and friends i believe that god wants to interrupt your life today through the gospel the beautiful thing about god's interruption is that his interruptions bring redemption 